Hello guys, Jonathan here from Arcade Repair Tips. We would just like to take a moment and thank you for listening to the audio replay of the live show here on the podcast feed. We'd also like to remind you to join our live show on the first Thursday night of every month at 5.30 p.m. Central Time. It's always a great time and we enjoy interacting with people just like you in our live chat. So be sure to make plans to be there for the next one. Remember also that we have an after show that takes place immediately after the live show. And if you'd like to listen to the audio from that, you will need to check it out on our YouTube page, which can be found at youtube.arcaderepairtips.com. So let us continue on with a short word from our sponsor, and then we'll get to the episode. Broadcasting from their world headquarters in Texas, it's the Arcade Repair Tips Live Show. The show that discusses arcade repair, restoration, news, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Tim and Jonathan. Hello, and welcome to episode 43 of the Arcade Repair Tips Live Show for September 2020. My name is Jonathan Leung, the producer, director, and editor of the Arcade Repair Tips video video series. And joining me today, as always, is Mr. Arcade Repair Tips himself, Tim Peterson. Tim, how are you doing? Well, we're surviving over here in Texas. The hurricane misses, but we're sure been getting a lot of rain the last couple of days. Yeah, and I'm, obviously, uh, Tim, we've had some storms, and you had some connection issues, so you're joining us uh, via your cell phone instead of your uh, standard laptop and home internet setup, correct? Yeah, I'm not. I don't have any internet at the house. Seems like it got knocked out today. Yeah, and uh, you know that's pretty common around here, especially uh, you know where you live, Tim. You're more rural than I am. I'm more in the city, and so. Uh, but even the other day, we had an outage here too. So you know things happen with internet and technical difficulties. But we try to make sure that the show can go on in some form or fashion. So I am glad that you're able to join us, even if you have to kind of hold your cell phone. Hopefully, it's not too heavy, Tim. No, it's fine. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, uh, guys, we're so excited that you guys are joining us for this live show episode. Now, remember that you can interact with us during the show by leaving your comments and questions in the live chat. And Tim, we have uh, quite a few people here tonight. Paul Jure is here. He says, hello, Arcade Tips. Finally made it to a live show. Thanks for being here, Paul. We appreciate it. Uh, We also had several people that remind me, Tim, that we had no audio there. And I saw the audio levels, and I was like, yeah, we have no audio. So I kind of cut that off real quick. We did a restart. Uh, Hopefully, we got all the audio issues fixed now. And, Tim, hopefully you won't cut out on me. That's going to be another thing, too. But uh, we'll hope for the best. We'll continue through all of the technical challenges and see what we can do. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Regzer Show is here. BX Benny is here. AMV. A Yane fan is here. Uh, let's see. I tried to make it in time, but I'm stuck talking to the wife is what he says, Tim, but he's, he's in the chat room at least. So, and actually, um, the the good news is that you made it in time because we were late, right, Tim? Yeah, I was a little late myself. That's right. Uh, Dan Springer is here. The real hammer Billy Lee is here, Tim. We've got all of, we've got all of our regulars here tonight. We're very excited that you guys could join us. Now, Tim, before we get started into questions and, and discussion and all the things that we usually cover on the show, how have you been and what's been going on? Um, well, I've been doing okay. We've, um, you know, my, most of you, if you've listened to the show long enough knows that I grew up in North Louisiana. So most of my family, in fact, they're just texting me. They still do not have power after that hurricane came through. What's it been almost a week now? Yeah. Uh, Uh, was that, uh, that was earlier this week, right? No, last week. It was last week, about a week ago. Yeah, so it came on for a little while the other night and then went off again. And now it's been off for another whole day. 
they're expecting it on any time, but you know, we get used to those modern conveniences like electricity and stuff. So uh, I feel for them. I had two aunts, uh, one on each side of my, my mom's family and one on my dad's family that both passed away last week. I'm going to a funeral tomorrow in Louisiana. So it's just like on top of everything else going on crazy in this world, it just seems like uh, I never get to slow down or it never takes a break. And, and Tim, I'm just, uh, that's terrible. I hate to hear that. Uh, were the, your two aunts, were they, um, were they, was it because of the hurricanes or was it other issues? One of them was in a nursing home and it was kind of expected. We knew that it could be any time. And she's my dad's sister in her 80s. The other one was quite a shock because they survived Hurricane Katrina, but when she heard about this other hurricane coming through, she got kind of anxious and everything about it, and uh, she had a heart attack and died. So, um, you know, I I really hate that because I don't know that she would have passed away had had it not been for this, or maybe we could have caught it sooner, something like that. So we feel really bad, and then... They're in South Louisiana where all the damage is. So because of it, COVID and everything else going on, we're not even going to get to have a memorial service for her anytime soon. Yeah. And, you know, Tim, that's one of the things that's really been put on hold because of COVID is all of the funerals and things. So that's just really terrible. I hate to hear that, Tim. And I hope hope your family's okay down there. I mean, uh, did any of did they have any damage as far as uh, property or anything? Well, most of my family down there lives in Baton Rouge towards New Orleans, and it wasn't very bad, kind of like here, just a little rain, a little wind. Uh, the biggest uh, hurt was around Lake Charles area. I'm sure everybody's seen this on TV and stuff. But surprisingly, my family in North Louisiana, it was still a Category 1, and that's like five hours from the coast. So what happened was it was still a Category 1 going into Arkansas, so they weren't used to even a Category 1 kind of damage knocked down all the power lines. A lot of trees fell on houses. It's really it's kind of uh, almost as bad up there because they're not used to hurricanes and things like that. Sure. Well, Tim, we will keep your family and our thoughts and prayers. Hopefully they'll everybody will recover, and we hate to hear about uh, the passing of both your aunts, and we just... Hope that, uh, you know, hope your your family has some peace with all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just it's always tough to lose anybody, but especially during 2020 when, like you said, it seems like so much is already being piled onto us. So, Yeah, well, take my aunt that was in the nursing home, for instance. Nobody's been able to go see her. And that that's kind of sad to us that, you know, she, she kind of um, went through this alone at the last months of her life, you know, so... Um, by all means, you know, we, we take a lot of stuff for granted, like electricity and those things. But if you have grandparents, I just encourage everybody is I was born very young to an, uh, my dad was 39 when I was born. So a lot of my aunts and uncles have already passed on. But, you know, if you still have grandparents or aunts and uncles and you can see them and they're not in the nursing home, uh, by all means, you know, spend the time, quality time with them that you can. 
Absolutely, Tim, and I think that's very important, and especially now, even if you have to wear a mask to see him in order to avoid the COVID or whatever the case may be, uh, you know, making a trip is special, and, you know, see your family when you can, if you've, you can make the time for it, for sure, and we just want to send thoughts and prayers to, like I said, your family, Tim, but also all those who are affected by the hurricane down our way. Um, we were supposed to get hit by it, Tim, but it kind of veered to the east, um, and so we it missed us by, you know, a, a pretty good margin, uh, thankfully, but um, obviously, like you said, there were um, towns in northern Louisiana and Arkansas who also got hit with it, and so just like we said, thoughts and prayers for all those people. But Tim, I hate it, I hate that it's such a da- downer. So let's go ahead and kind of pick it up a little bit. Uh, is there anything else that you've been, that's been going on with you besides uh, some of the some of the, some of the hurricane uh, related stuff? Well, got quite a bit of work done. Uh, did we talk about the Coolercade uh, last time? And so maybe by next time I'll be able to show some pictures and stuff of that. Um, basically had a customer uh, approach my friend, Mike, and want him to, uh, and he got me to help him build. We took a game and uh, made put a 60 and one in it and made a refrigerator cooler in the bottom uh, per their request. And it was quite a challenge, but I think it's turning out pretty good. In fact, um, I'm kind of enjoying testing it now for him while it's almost complete, you know. I may just have to... Uh, test it for another week <laughs> there you go well i you sent some pictures tim but unfortunately you sent them like right before the show and i couldn't get them on the outline because we were fighting with all the technical stuff so hopefully by next show i'll be able to get some pictures up there or i can maybe i'll show them in the after show or something like that i can hold my phone up to the camera but um, unfortunately i wasn't able to get those pictures up but it does look like a cool project and hopefully we can show our audience some of those pictures very soon but uh, tim i'll go ahead and uh, go to the live chat real quick um danny ransom says hello guys nice to see you again Nice to see you too, Danny. And I think that's pretty much caught up with the live chat. Now, Tim, we did something different with this live show. I actually gave it kind of a subtitle, and it's called Melty Drippy Image Issues. And the reason it's called that is because our first question has to deal with melted, drippy image issues. So let me go ahead and pull that up, and we'll get right into it here. It's going to take a second. There we go. Uh, Question from Sean here, Tim. He says, hey, Tim, I just discovered your YouTube series and enjoy watching it. I kind of got an issue with my Pac-Man arcade cabinet that I think I can correct, but I'm not sure how. On the the right-hand corner of the screen, it looks like it's kind of melted. The image looks like it's just dripping down from top to bottom. I'm not sure if the focus or an adjustment would help. I'm going to enclose some pictures of the screen. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions? Now, Tim, I'm going to go ahead and show the audience these pictures, but you have already seen them. So uh, you know what what he's talking about when he's talking about this melted, drippy image, which, Tim, I just love the description so much. I was like, I'm going to use that for the subtitle. Uh, we've never really had <laughs> one like that before. But, Tim, uh, looking at the pictures, this looks like a pretty common issue, correct? Yeah, and a uh, pr- pretty good description, actually. Um most of the time when we see this, um, it kind of depends on the monitor, but he's having, uh, we call it like a fold-over or a curl. Uh, Geo7s were notorious for this. In fact, I know you'll show it on the uh, slide in a minute. There's a link that Rob Roberts talks a lot about how to fix that, and there's kind of a fix for it. But also the 4600 by Wells Gardner, um, sometimes the horizontal hole pot, uh, VR351 is not high enough to adjust the curl out. So it, uh, there's a fix for that also, and I know you'll show that on the next screen. But, yeah, it's a pretty common monitor, I mean, monitor issue, especially with the older Pac-Man and stuff where you can adjust, but you just can't get that little curl out. 
Now, you know, of course, he can do his adjustments and stuff, and sometimes you can adjust it out, but most of the time, it's going to take a little bit of chassis repair, but nothing too complicated. Yeah, and we have Paul uh, Jure here in the chat, Tim. Now, he's saying, seen it many times, cap kit time, and cap kit definitely is one thing that can help solve the curl, Tim, but there's also a curl mod that a lot of people may be familiar with, and I think that's what you're referencing when you're talking about the Bob Roberts page, correct? For sure, yeah. Okay, so I'll go ahead and throw the slide up here. Uh, from your pictures and description, it looks like you're experiencing some curl in the picture on your Pac-Man monitor. Try changing the horizontal and vertical size hold uh, and sync adjustments on your monitor chassis to, to see if it helps the issue. And that, Tim, that's always the first thing we're going to recommend, right, is to try to adjust it out, correct? Yes, by all means. So if you can't adjust it out, great. But there may be times where you can't. And so like Paul Jure mentions, a cap kit's a great place to start with this because it can solve this issue a lot. But there's also a curl mod if you have an Electro Home Geo 7 like Tim mentioned. And you can see the link from Bob Roberts for more on the curl mod. And Tim, we also have that link below in the show notes so they can check it out there. Now, if you have a K4600, Tim, which a lot of people may be familiar with, has the two cards in it. If you have a K4600, sometimes that horizontal hold pop just won't adjust the curl out for some reason. Uh, you can solder in a 27K ohm a quarter watt carbon resistor to the leg of that um, hold pot and it will, the one that's not tied to ground, and it will help with the value on that pot to where you can get the curl out. That's, I mean, it happens sometimes that it just, that pot just doesn't doesn't um, give you the range of values that you need in order to get it out. But, you know, Tim, most cases, um, doing a cap kit sometimes will also help that, like Paul Jure man mentioned. So um, yeah. I think that about covers it. And I'm not, you know, 4900s, Tim, it doesn't seem like we see the curl as much on 4900s. Um, maybe, you know, I don't know if you have. What, what's your, uh, you know, have you ever seen it's, it on 4900s? If I have, I don't specifically remember it, but I really see it a lot on the GO7. Absolutely. I think the GO7 is probably the one that's most famous for this kind of curl. But Tim, like melted, drippy image, like I said, I just liked the way he described it, and uh, I thought it was kind of interesting. But of course, we know it as curl. It's typically what, or, you know, you say image foldover. Sometimes it's also, you know, people will mistake that for like an image foldover, but curl is what we normally see it as. And so it does look like he's having a curl issue. But again, adjusting his sink, his hold, his size should help with that. Or he may need to do the sync mod like we t- or the curl mod like we talked about. Or he, uh, cap kit's a great place to, to start as well. Cap kits are great on this. There may be, um, it may be that you're not getting enough of enough voltage through one of those caps. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And so it's not giving you the adjustment that you need. So, you know, cap kit's a great place to start. If that doesn't solve it, you may try some of the curl mods that we gave you on this, on this uh, question. So Tim, anything else uh, for Sean before we continue? No, I don't think so. Okay, um, Paul also says the 4600 also has a second hidden control for horizontal hold, and he is right. I always forget where that is, Tim, but there is a second hidden control for hold on the 4600 that he may need to adjust as well. So, Sean, hopefully answers your question, and let us know if you have trouble getting the curl out of your arcade monitor, Tim. Of course, if he lets us know what the chassis is, we could probably give him better direction, correct? Correct. Okay, there we go. So... Uh, we'll go ahead, Tim, and move on to our next question here. Now, um, your can you can you um, lower your camera? Can you put your camera uh, your head higher in the camera? There we go. Um, you know, I have a little stripe down at the bottom, and right now it's covering your mouth. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so um, other way, other way. 
There you go. There we are. We got the whole we got the whole Tim here. So keep your head kind of in the top uh, the top half of the screen, and I think we'll be good. So, like I said, Tim's having to hold his phone right now, so I know that's difficult anyway. So, um, but we want everybody to be able to see your face and your mouth and everything like that when you're talking. So that should get us where we're going. So, okay, Tim, let us continue with James's question. And James says, "Hello, I recently started watching your videos on YouTube. I have an old high super high impact arcade machine and want to make it into a multicade. I have a Pandora's uh, box 6 and a Jammer Harness coming soon, but the old arcade is four player and only one button. Can you recommend new buttons and joysticks for two players? Thanks." James. Now, Tim, we have James here, and he's got this uh, super high impact, and it is a four-player game, but each of the four players only have one button, and so if he wants to make, like, a two-player setup on this, he's probably going to have to do some modification to that panel, correct? Yes, he's going to have to definitely drill some more holes. Yeah, absolutely. And now, Tim, I think what we would probably do in this particular case, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but we would probably um, take all the buttons, basically um, take it down to just the wood and the overlay, and probably strip that overlay off, and then bondo up all the holes, and then put a new overlay on, and then drill the holes, or maybe drill the holes, then put a new overlay on, uh, in order to make it look professional, correct? Yes, that's what I, exactly what I do. Yeah, so you, what you'll need to do here, James, if you really want to do a two-player step on this, is you'll need to basically take out all the joysticks and buttons, take out all, any kind of uh, attached wiring or anything, remove it from your cabinet. Uh, you may, you probably want to take off the control panel overlay as well. Bondo up the holes that you currently have, and then... Let that set, redrill the whole the whole pattern that you want. So if you want two players, maybe six buttons per player, then you'll need to find a template to drill those holes, put a new overlay on, and then cut out around those holes, and you'll get your two-player setup. But Tim, he's really not asking about that so much as he's asking about what joysticks and buttons would do well. So what do you think? What yeah. joysticks and buttons would do well for a two-player Pandora's box cabinet? Well, it's kind of a personal preference. Uh, we like the ultimate half uh, eight-way joysticks and stuff. Um, you know, I the one I got recently for from Holland Computers kind of has the red ball style. They seem to be okay. I prefer that with like a Pac-Man game or something. But if I'm going to do a lot of fighting, it sounds like he wants to hook up the six. Uh, you know, if he likes the fighting games and stuff, you know, by all means, the better the joystick or the more you pay, uh, sometimes you get what you pay pay for uh you definitely want to get one that's arcade quality you know from uh betson or hat or one of those major arcade vendors to me they seem to hold up a little better uh for instance like the ones on the one-up machines you know they're just uh not very uh as quality made and so we definitely want to recommend that you do go at least with a certified arcade distributor uh, any, any of those on our page, I'm sure, sell good joysticks. But a lot of it's just personal preference, um, whether you like the ball style or you just like the curved teardrop kind of look of the ultimate joystick. But, boy, we sure have had a lot of uh, experience in the past with using those half joysticks. Seem like they just last a lot longer. Absolutely, Tim. I'm going to go ahead and throw up uh, what we have here on the outline here. But so pretty much any arcade joystick and buttons will do, like you mentioned, Tim. On the joysticks, we prefer the the competition or ultimate eight way style, like you mentioned, Tim. Uh, these work well for games that are included on the Pandora's Box Six. And Tim, you mentioned a lot of fighting games. The um, Pandora's Box boards typically have a lot of fighting games, and so we do like the competition or ultimate. 
eight-way um, joysticks. And you can pick those up from most parts distributors. Tim, you mentioned HAP. Um, and we like ordering from Suzo HAP, but Tim, you probably noticed that their prices are usually higher than everybody else's because everybody else yeah. buys in bulk from HAP and resells at a lower price. And so um, you're better off going probably with somebody who resells HAP joysticks. So Twisted Quarter is a great example of that. Or Tim, you can buy from Holland Computers, who is one of our uh, one of our primary distributors. And they're actually having a Labor Day sale right now. I forget what the 15% off code is, but um, I may put it in the show notes so you guys can order it. They'll be having that, I believe, through Labor Day, Tim. But there's a link to... Um, the competition eight-way style joysticks from Holland Computers right there, and it's also down in the show notes. Now, on the buttons, we didn't really talk about the, the buttons so much, Tim, but we like micro-switch buttons most of the time, correct? Correct. Yeah, so micro-switch buttons are the ones, you know, where you actually have but you have a normal push button, but it has a little micro-switch down at the bottom. Now, the only exception we'll make to that is if the game originally came with Leaf-style joysticks, we tend to keep what was in the original game, right, Tim? Yes, most of the time. Right, so, you know, for us, it's more about keeping things original. So if, if the game originally had Leaf-style joysticks, we'll keep it in. But when you're going with a multi-cade setup like this, uh, you're probably better off with the micro-switch-style joystick. And again, Tim, we have a link here to um, to some of the red push buttons on Holland Computer's website. And again, they have that 15% off, and I'll look up the code uh, when I get a chance. Now, Tim, you mentioned that's a personal preference of ours, but a lot of people like Sanwa joysticks. That's really good. Um, in the, I've got some people in the chat here that are saying IL joysticks are good. Uh, uh, IL Euro sticks, uh, you know, kind of thing. Let's see. Um, Paradise Arcade Shop is a great place to order parts from, and you can get some great joysticks from them as well, Tim. We, we really do like Brian and staff over at Paradise Arcade Shop. They do good stuff. So there's a lot of great places to order uh, joysticks and buttons from. But, Tim, you know, like you mentioned, make sure they're arcade quality. Don't go getting, like, just the cheapest of the cheap, Tim. We see those those nice kits that kind of have the keyboard encoder, and they have, like, a set of buttons and a joystick. Those are nice if you're just doing, like, a little small project. But if you're, you're really wanting to put together a game that you want to keep forever and you want to last, then you really need to use arcade quality parts in it, right, Tim? I agree. Yeah, I mean, because that's very important. I mean, because, you know, you want your game to last. You want to play like an original arcade game. So make sure you use original arcade parts. It will make a difference. Now, Tim, I didn't read the last part, but it's basically what we said in the beginning. If you want to do a two-player six-button setup on your cabinet, James, you're going to have to drill. You're going to have to bondo the, the holes that you currently have. You have to sand it and then drill the new layout on there and probably get a new control panel overlay if you want it to look nice, uh, which uh, takes a little bit of work, Tim, but it, it usually comes out pretty well, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of great YouTube videos on that. We have a YouTube video on replacing a control panel overlay that you can watch as well, uh, which kind of goes through how all of that is done. So if you do need uh, help with that pro- part of the process, please let us know. James will help you out. But, again, personal preference, we like Ultimate or Competition, 8-way joysticks for most of uh, the multi-cade boards like the Pandora's box. And then make sure you go with a micro-switch-style joystick, uh, which you, or joystick, micro-switch-style um, push-button. You know, you can get those from pretty much any arcade parts distributor. But we do put some links to Holland Computers below and I'll make sure to put that uh, Labor Day coupon down there too for you James in case you want to go ahead and order and get that 15% off so James hopefully answers your question and good luck uh, with the conversion on your super high impact arcade cabinet okay chicken with the live chat I think we're all caught up Tim so we will continue on here with Andrew 
So, Andrew says, I have a Miss Pac-Man Galaga 20th Reunion Upright Machine. It has a 60-in-1 board inside it. The problem I'm having is that the game powers up and is fully playable, but the game visuals are too stretched for the screen. Also, the game stays on and warms up. The screen gets washed out and begins showing lines and becomes blurry. I looked around in the back of the cabinet and was wondering what your thoughts would be on this problem. I did see one cap not looking like it should. Any advice would be appreciated. Now, Tim, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to throw these pictures up and we'll see if, you know, it may be hard to see which cap he um, he's talking about that doesn't look like it should. But our, um, our, our friend uh, Michael is about to give us the answer to this question and he will actually reference that as well. So you can look at the pictures and see. But Tim, if you look at the picture of the cabinet itself, you'll see how stretched the picture is. Um, it's yeah. like on the 16 one, basically you can only see the first row of screens uh, and maybe half of the second row. So obviously wow. he's, I mean, he's having a width issue here, big time, right? So um, hor- a horizontal width issue specifically. So uh, Tim, with that in mind, and I'd like to say, I don't know if you guys can see the caps. I don't know if our resolution is good enough on the video here. But Tim, there is one of these caps that does look very suspect. But instead of us talking about it, Tim, we're going to let Michael tell you. So here's Michael, guys, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, everyone. Michael back with another segment of Michael's Minute. This month's question comes from Andrew. Andrew has a Galaga Miss Pac-Man machine with a couple of video issues. His first issue is with his width, uh, horizontal width. He said his picture's too wide for the screen. His second issue is with his colors fading after the machine's been on for a while. So let's tackle these issues and see if we can help Andrew out. The first question with the horizontal width, I would um, check the horizontal circuit. If you're not familiar with the horizontal circuit, you can always just follow your yoke wires One's going to lead to your vertical circuit, one's going to lead to your horizontal circuit, and check your components in that area. Some of the older chassis have what we call a horizontal width coil. It's a plastic coil with a ferrite bead inside. It's going to have some propylene caps around it. On cha- and on Andrew's chassis, I don't believe has that. I believe his width, co- his width coil was sealed and it was going to be controlled through a menu system. But I did see in his uh, horizontal area was a bulge propylene cap. You could tell it was bulge because the plastic coating around the cap itself was cracked and peeling away. And um, that's probably going to be his issue for that problem. That cap needs to be removed. See if you can read a value on it. If you cannot read a value on it, um, find the location on the board and look it up in a schematic and get the value that way. And while I'm replacing that cap, I would check all your components in that area next to that cap and make sure nothing was damaged from heat or maybe even cause that cap to fail and touch up all solder joints and stuff like that in that area. And hopefully that would fix your horizontal issue. As far as the colors fading after the machine's been on, the number one thing I would do is just do a cap kit, electrolytic cap kit on the entire board. While I'm installing those caps, I would look at all the other solder joints on the board and look for anything that looked out of the ordinary, meaning cracked or dull, and touch them up while I'm installing those caps. Because usually when you have an issue of any kind that progresses over time is related to heat and like like cracked solder joints when the board heats up and cools down, that's when you see your issues or even bad caps when they heat up or cool down that's when you start seeing issues so 
a problem with his colors fading after the machine's been on for a while leads me to think that it's going to be a bad cap or a cold solder joint. But with him having both problems, I, it, the board 100% needs a complete cap kit. And while we're on the subject of cap kits, through the years I've bought a lot of them and I've noticed some are better than others. Some of them come with every complete cap that's on the board and some of them only come with a handful of caps and I guess and that they think are the ones that fail or the ones that are important. So I've had issues where I do a cap kit and not every cap gets replaced and I still have an issue and it turns out to still be a cap. And my tip for the month would be if you do any type of arcade repair as far as monitor work even if you have one machine and you just work on it occasionally I still recommend getting a good ESR meter and that will save you a ton of time and a headache when you're looking for bad caps and there's this type right here that Tim and I have used in other videos and uh, I think Amazon even has some cheaper ones on there that um, still will work just fine and they're they're a lifesaver when it comes to the electrolytic capacitors you can check them in circuit you don't have to unsolder them or anything and they let you know if they're good or bad it's especially like i said in the situations where a cap kit doesn't include every cap but andrew i hope this will help you uh, i think if you just do a complete cap kit and then change out that propylene cap in the horizontal circuit maybe you'll be in better shape if not reach back out to us and we'll get you going one way or another but until next time, y'all take care, everybody. See you next month. Well, Tim, there was Michael, and he just gave us basically the answer to Andrew's question. But, uh, Tim, I'll be honest with you. The first time that I read Andrew's question, I saw his pictures. I did not pick up on that cap, even though Andrew kind of mentioned that one of the caps did not look right. I just kind of glanced at the chassis. I did not see it. And then when I got to video for Michael, he's like, oh, it's a polypropylene cap. I was oh, I see it now. You know, it's one of those things where yeah. I definitely didn't see it the first time, but that was me just glancing over real fast. And, you know, sometimes I'm just like, uh, you know, uh, that looks good. I'll read the question or whatever the case may be. But Michael definitely picked up on that yeah thank goodness he sent us those good pictures too though it made it a little easier for michael to find it absolutely so uh tim i'm gonna go ahead and summarize though uh, here on the outline what uh, michael said to do on your horizontal size issue michael suggests checking the horizontal section of your chassis you may have a bulged polypropylene capacitor in the section and tim uh based on the picture it does look like it is bulged i mean just looking at it right there so remove it replace it and check the other components around it sometimes you can solve this issue by adjusting your horizontal width coil tim if you're chassis has one or through the on-screen display menu system if you have a newer digital monitor tim and you know a lot of those newer digital monitors have horizontal size they're just through the on-screen display correct yes and then and some of them have a go ahead menu you got to yeah you know. So on the color fading issue, you can start by installing a cap kit. Be sure to check for uh, cracked, cold, and or broken solder joints on the chassis during the installation process. Uh, not all cap kits come with every cap on the chassis. And Tim, I'm glad that Michael mentioned this because, you know, we get a lot of people who send us a question like, I did a cap kit, but it's still doing something. It's still not fixed the issue, whatever the case may be. It may be that you did not get the cap that you need to fix the issue. And Tim, uh, if you're ever questioning which cap kit you need to buy, make sure you buy the one that comes with the filter caps. That's a really good way to know if you're getting a more complete cap kit uh, or you, if they have a complete cap cap kit versus like a non -com a common cap kit, then make sure you get the complete if that's what you want, because that makes a big difference you know, because you could have an issue with those caps that's not necessarily a common cap, correct? 
Yes, that is correct. And, and so what Michael suggests is having an ESR meter, Tim. And we've talked about ESR meters before, but basically what it allows you to do is to check capacitors in circuit so you can see if they're working or not. So if you do just get a cap kit that only has the common caps, then you can go back and test the rest of your caps and make sure they're working as well. And Tim, uh, ESR meter is definitely something to have, especially if you're going to be doing a lot of arcade monitor repair. It's a great tool, correct? Yes, and like you said, the key phrase there is in circuit. So you don't even have to, um, you know, remove the cap to check it like you would with just a, your standard meter. Exactly. So uh, great advice from Michael. Tim, always a pleasure to have Michael here on the show. And we're going to be trying to do um, one Michael's Minute question every show, guys, because uh, we love Michael and Michael is very much up for this. And we thank him for doing it and spending the time on it because, Tim, I know he probably has a lot of things uh, going on right now, especially uh, with uh, all the stuff, you know, with COVID and everything else, just like we all do. So I appreciate Michael taking the time to actually film an answer to a question and get back with this. Um, And uh, Michael's a great guy. and just uh, really, really um, glad to hear from him always. So, Andrew, hopefully answers your question, though. And uh, just let us know if you need additional details about fixing that issue. But you may want to, you know, replace that polypropylene cap. Tim, you may want to get the whole polypropylene with kit, correct? Yes. I, I, while I was in there, that's exactly what I would do. I would rebuild it all. Because just as one cap is bad, uh, the others are probably quite old age, the same age. I doubt they've been replaced before. So I would just do it all that in the coil if possible, if you can get it. There you go. So replace the polypropylene cap, perhaps the rest of them too, and do a standard cap kit, and you should be in good shape. If you have additional problems past that point, please let us know, Andrew, and we'll continue to help you out. Okay, Tim, let's check with the live chat real quick. We've got uh, Michael Bloom says, finally made it. Love this show. And my wife, Danny, is watching too. So hi, Michael. Hi, Danny. Thanks for being here tonight. Always a pleasure to have you guys here. Uh, Louis says, hey, Mike, or welcome, Michael, as well. Jason uh, Steverson is here. He says, hey, everyone. Hey, Jason, how are you? Uh, let's see. Uh, Seahorses and Knights here, but it looks like he um, he may have said something uh, that <laughs> wasn't appropriate because Louis hit it. So Louis in the chat room tonight, Tim. We should mention that as well. Uh, Louis, one of our Facebook moderators and live chat moderators. So uh, thank you, Louis, for keeping, uh, keeping a hold of the live chat for us tonight. He also posted some links when we were talking about buttons and joysticks earlier. So uh, we want to thank Louis for all his efforts. Uh, I'm going to give him a round of applause here, Tim, because he always does uh, great work. Thank you, Louis, so much for doing what you do. And he also posted a source to, uh, for some cap kits. Arcade Shop's a great place to get them. We like Syracuse Semiconductors as well, Tim. It's a great place to get them. There's a lot of great places to get cap kits from. So, uh, you know, um, and here's the thing, Tim, you know, just because you get a cap kit doesn't necessarily mean every cap is good either. Another reason to keep an ESR meter around, correct? For sure. You know, in fact... There's been a lot of um, internet talk about this. You know, there was a, a time there where we got, everybody was getting a lot of bad caps. So it's good. Uh, nothing else, they're kind of fun to test while you have them out in your bag. You could just take, you could go through and test that whole bag in like two minutes with your ESR meter just to make sure that any of them haven't dried out before you put them in. Absolutely. So again, ESR meter, great tool to have in your arcade repair toolbox. Oh, and Louis says, thank you, thank you, Tim. So there you go. (laughs) No, thank you, Louis. Thank you. So there we go. Uh, Tim, I think we're caught up on the live chat real quick. So let's go ahead and move on to our next question from Billy. And Billy says, hello, I have a 60-in-1 New Edition Classic JAMA Arcade game. It's a stand-up cabinet with an older 19-inch monitor. What's the best flat-screen monitor to use to change over and still use the VGA cable and power that I have now? 
Thanks. So, Tim, it looks like Billy wants to convert his CRT 19-inch monitor into an LCD or a flat monitor, as he says, flat screen monitor. Uh, and, but he has a VGA cable that he's got hooked up now, and he's got power hooked up to that monitor. But what's the best monitor for him to go with if he wants to replace that CRT that's in there now? Well, I just put one in a game, as you saw those pictures, uh, about four or five days ago. So I highly... just basically for the price and they're they're all i mean you can get some are better than others we love wells gardner but they are a little bit more expensive the one that we get from holland computers is just about the best deal and i'll give everybody else a tip here sometimes it's cheaper to go to their amazon or their i bought the last one from them through their ebay store john you remember i was asking you the other day right because it was actually cheaper for me to purchase through them with shipping through eBay than it was to go directly to their site. Yeah, and Tim, that is the case if they're not having a sale. And at the time you asked me, they weren't having the sale, but now they're having the 15% off sale through Labor Day. So now it actually would have been cheaper to order from their website. But you are correct. Sometimes you get a better shipping deal through Amazon or eBay. Yeah, a lot of times you do, especially if you're like a Prime member, um, you'll get some better deals. So... That is the one that I'm going to recommend, but of course, uh, a lot of our distributors, uh, Twisted Quarter Sales, the Wells Gardner one, uh, those are great monitors, but especially if he already has the VGA cable, uh, one of the, the things that I wanted to do, and you guys still see me okay, yeah. I wanted to go, um, I, I, I'll tell the, tell everybody what I converted. I converted the Miss Pack Galaga Combo Reunion game to a 60M1, and I wanted to test my old board because it, it didn't have a monitor at all in it. Then I realized, oh, wait, the old board, which it's right over here. You guys can probably yeah, see is. this. Um, this old board doesn't have a VGA connection on it. Correct. So I need to order a, um adapter in order to test it, so I still don't even know if this board works or not. Although I could hook it up and see if it has sound and stuff like that. You can bring it over. Um, I've got several. Ca- I've got. I've got jam accounts. You can hook it in. That, that was my. That was also a plan to do. Also, but I'm thinking I may just want to have one of the VGA uh, adapter boards just for my test bench. Sure. And, and, you know, uh, uh, Tim, here's the thing. The, the difference between the Holland Computers and the Wells Garner is that the Holland Computers are only basically VGA, um, but, the Hol- but the Wells Garner monitors usually support the 15 kilohertz standard, 25 kilohertz, and VGA as well. So you can actually use the Wells Garner monitors to hook up a, a standard arcade board. You can't with the Holland Computers monitors. You need the adapter like you're mentioning. But um, the Wells Garner are more expensive, though, so you kind of get what you pay for. Yeah, and... Um... If I remember right, the the older Welsh Gardner one um, actually had where you could hook up straight with your Molex. Correct. Like straight from the CGA. Yeah, the one that, that we have linked in the um, outline here, which I'm about to put up, Tim, does have the actual Molex connector on the back. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That makes it easy, too, because even if I get the adapter board and I want to test this board, I'm going to have to make a harness. Uh, in order to do that, uh, so it's not going to be quite too. E- it's not going to be super easy. Whereas if I had the Wells Gardner monitor, I could hook it straight up to there, 
and uh, it would be a little bit easier to test, Correct. in my opinion. And so I'm going to go ahead and throw up the outline real quick here, Tim. When it comes to replacement monitors, uh, Tim, we always recommend going with a commercial-grade RK quality LCD. Tim, how many times have we said that? Commercial-grade RK quality LCD. I think I think uh, I need to make a song that's commercial-grade RK quality LCD. So um, if you're going to go with it, go with that because you do want something that's going to hold up and last. Now, since you already have a VGA hookup in your cabinet, you can go with the one from Holland Computers, and Tim, I have the link here. And I think Louie also put it in the live chat. Um, we have used this monitor several times in past projects and have been very pleased with its picture and performance. And Tim, it's the cheapest 19-inch um, LCD that I've seen. So you really yeah. can't beat the price on it. Now, the downside to that is that it is not 15 kilohertz compatible. So if you're trying to hook up an actual arcade board to it, it is not going to work unless you have the video converter like Tim's talking about. Now, yeah. we are huge fans of Wells Garner, Tim. We mentioned that. Wells Garner's great stuff. You can get their 19-inch from Twisted Quarter. Cost you a little bit more, but it does have the 15 kilohertz compatibility in case you want to run an arcade board in the cabinet. And, Tim, we have the link there on Twisted Quarter where you can get that. And, Tim, Twisted Quarter, I think, has the best price on those that I know of um, on the Wells Garner 19-inch. So um, if you're looking for it, I think that's the best price you're going to find. Uh, Louis also says he will vouch for the uh, Wells Garner LCD. And yes, you are correct, Tim. It does have the Molex connector on it, and it's worth the extra money. I would say it's worth the extra money too, but if you're only worried about a VGA hookup, the Holland Computers monitor is very good, and it's very yeah, easy to in, install. And in the question, he said he already had a VGA ready. Correct. So. So in this particular Why? case, I would probably go I would go with the Holland Computers one. But if there's a time where you want to put an arcade board in it, or if you think you may want to put an arcade board in it in the future, you may want to go the Wells Garner route. That's what I would say. Correct. So, and it's just totally up to you. Um, but you really can't go wrong with Wells Garner monitors, Tim. I mean, look at how long they've been making monitors for. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty outstanding. Now, Tim, they don't make the panels just like they didn't make the tubes back in the day. They just make the electronics that power the panels. So that's something to keep in mind. So that panel, I think, on that Wells Garner is actually an LG panel that you're getting, which is still a high-quality uh, panel, still commercial grade, still will work really well. But that's just something to keep in mind. Just like Wells Garner didn't make tubes back in the day, Tim, they don't make panels either. So, um, But when you get a Wells Garner product, they do make the rest of the monitor, and it is you know, always a quality product from them. Tim, anything else on Billy's question before we move on here? No, I think we're good. We're good. Sounds good. So, Billy, hopefully answers your question, and good luck installing an LCD monitor in your, I think he was doing a 60-in-1 classic arcade JAMA game cabinet. Yeah. Okay, Tim, let's see. Looks like we're caught up in the live chat, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to this question from Eric. And Eric says, hello, I recently purchased a Donkey Kong cabinet with a 1942 cabinet. I got them to use one... One cabinet for horizontal games and one cabinet for vertical games, but the harnesses on both units have been chopped up. I've looked for complete original harnesses online, but I haven't had any luck. I would like to use the original monitors if they are any good and keep the original look of the games, but I didn't know exactly how to since the original harnesses are cut up. I would like to be able to plug in the original board if I wanted to, as well as the JAMA board. The 1942 had an aftermarket power supply in it, and it checks out fine. The Donkey Kong looks all original except for the cut wires and the blind cardboard missing. What would you suggest? Thanks, Eric. 
So Tim, Eric actually has two arcade games he's asking about. He has a Donkey Kong and a 1942, and he did something that we recommend to people who want to go multi-cade route too, Tim, is that you buy one cabinet for horizontal games and one cabinet for vertical games. That way you can pretty much play everything as it was intended. But he's wondering how what he should do with these because it sounds like somebody has totally cut up all the harnesses in both these cabinets. So he's wondering, like, how should he go about making these cabinets to where not only can he play the original game board in it, but also he can play JAMA games in it if he wants to as well. So, um, Tim, obviously this is probably going to be two different approaches for each of these cabinets. So let's start with the 1942 first. What would you suggest to do with the 1942 cabinet in order to make it to where he could play JAMA and the 1942 board if he wanted to? Well, exactly. In, in both games, we could start there that I would... You, you, he's right. You're not going to find original harnesses for sale anymore for one there's just not a huge uh demand for them I, although somebody could probably make him one uh but it would cost him the best way that i would do that one is to go ahead and just wire it up JAMA. and uh the 1942 is the same number of pins so it's really close but you can't just play it JAMA if i remember right no and tim we um, had a 1942 and we actually had it was wired JAMA, and we had an adapter in it, correct? Yes, and that's exactly what we bought was a, an adapter, which allowed us, we would test other games in it all the time, but we had to use the JAMA adapter for it. Correct. Um, and there, there's, you see those quite regular on quite a few of our sites. Um, so that's what I would do. I would go ahead and wire it up JAMA, and then you could switch between uh, plugging a JAMA board in uh, or your 1942. Now, the Donkey Kong's a little bit different, right, Tim? Because first off, it's a Nintendo cabinet, which means it runs off mostly 100 volts throughout that thing. But um, what do you suggest on the Donkey Kong cabinet if he wanted to play original Donkey Kong and he wanted to play JAMA games in that cabinet? It's the kind of the same thing. You're going you're gonna to kind of have to get it. Um, back in working condition using a JAMA PCB to Nintendo cabinet adapter. So same thing, he needs a different kind of adapter uh, to get that one working. Um, I know Mike's Arcade sells one. He's really good with Nintendo uh, stuff. Well, and uh, so and would... what would you do? Now, here's the thing, though. What would you do about the wiring? Would you wire the cabinet JAMA or would you keep, would you wire it back to Donkey Kong uh, and then put the jam adapter in it. I'm assuming that the 1942 was more cut up than the Donkey Kong. So I guess either or. It depends on. He sounds like he's a little anal about. I mean, because nobody's going to even going to see the cut wires, but him. But I get it. I, I don't like. I like. In fact, the game in my sh in my garage right now. I'm really fixing to go to town on wiring and making it look really nice and professional i don't like those cut wires sticking out everywhere uh, so whatever is better does is it would it be easier is that one pretty beat up to where he would go jamma with it or it would be easier to keep what he's got and switch that to jamma i guess those are the questions that he would have to come up with the answer for either way 
um, it would be a little less work, it seemed like, to keep a donkey calm. Now, something I didn't consider, Rexford Show says, I, I thought 1942 was vertical too, just like DK. It is actually vertical. So I guess on a 1942, what he really wants to do is probably turn it horizontal, I would imagine, because it'd be really hard, I think, to do that in a DK cabinet more than it would be to do in a 1942 cabinet. I didn't even think about 1942 being a vertical game too, but that is the case. So technically, he has two vertical games. So if he wants to do something horizontal, he's going to have to convert one of those, right, Tim? Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Thank you for stating the obvious, actually. We were so concerned with him getting an adapter. You're right, 1942 is, in fact, it's on your, what's weird, though, is the 60 and 1 plays both of these games. Right. So I don't know why he's not going that route, uh, or if he is going to go that route, you're going to have both of these games. Um, So that would take care of one cabinet. 1942 is probably uh, the best candidate to turn horizontal, though, and rotate your monitor. Absolutely. Um, Without pictures of his games, though, uh, that would be hard to to come up with, but definitely easier than the Donkey Kong, in our opinion. Yeah, so I think if I'm Eric here, what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to convert the 1942 to the horizontal, like we talked about. So we're going to convert that one to the horizontal. We're going to keep the Donkey Kong vertical. Tim, I am... I'm of the opinion that we should probably keep the Donkey Kong wiring the same. And you mentioned it's hard to get harnesses. It is, but Mike's Arcade does provide a lot of Nintendo harnesses specifically. And so he should be able to get a replacement uh, harness from Mike's Arcade. Um, Louie also said Ken does arcade harnesses and does fantastic work. And that's at GoldenAgeArcadeParts.com. Tim, you may be familiar with Ken. Um, So there are places you can get these harnesses. So in the Donkey Kong's case... I'm probably going to get it back and working as a Donkey Kong and then buy the adapter that you mentioned from Mike's Arcade so I can use JAMA boards in it. And then on the 1942, I'm going to turn the monitor horizontal and then wire it JAMA and then plug in JAMA boards from there. Is that Does that sound like a good plan? I think that if, if that's what he's wanting to do, not necessarily what we would do with either game, right? but to try to help him for what he wants to accomplish. Right. So in this particular case, if he wanted to play 1942 and he had the setup like that, he would actually have to play it in the Donkey Kong cabinet, probably using the adapter that you mentioned, where he can convert, uh, or where he'd have to go Donkey Kong to JAMA to 1942, basically. So he'd have to have like a dual adapter set up in order to play the 1942 mm-hmm. in there. Or like you mentioned, just get a 60 in one board, then you could play both anyway, so... Is there anything else here, Tim? I'll put up the slide real quick. Is there anything else you have for Eric, though? No, that's all. Okay. So we'll go ahead and put this up. Um, so the 1942, like we said, is a good candidate for the JAMA harness and for rotating the monitor, Tim. We should mention that. Um, the 1942 does use the same pins as the JAMA harness, but like we mentioned, if you're going to rotate the monitor in that 1942, then you're going to have to use this this adapter probably in the Donkey Kong cabinet with the JAMA adapter. Now, the Donkey Kong cabinet also, like we said, has an adapter that goes from the Nintendo cabinet to JAMA PCB. So, um, and if you're going to go that route, Tim, probably just better off doing a 60-in-1 board there so you can play 1942 and Donkey Kong. So it gives you the flexibility. But um, those are kind of the ways that we're doing. But if you really want to use the original 1942 in a vertical cabinet, um, then you need to do the Donkey Kong Nintendo cabinet to JAMA adapter, JAMA to 1942, and then the 1942 board in your Donkey Kong cabinet would be the way that would work. And that's a little cumbersome, Tim, which is why it'd probably be good just to invest in a 61 board in this particular case. But um, 
but yeah, and you can see here, this is the, um, the bottom part is the Donkey Kong, the JAMA PCB to Nintendo cabinet adapter from Mike's Arcade. And this is what you'll need to play JAMA games in that Donkey Kong cabinet, Eric. So you will need that if you want to play JAMA in your Donkey Kong. Now, we also mentioned that you can get harnesses from Mike's Arcade as well, or you can get them from GoldenAgeArcadeParts.com, like, uh, like uh, Louie mentioned. So you can get them from those places as well. And our, I mean, I would suggest just going ahead and trying to get the Donkey Kong back to to the original way it was before using that adapter. But if you follow those directions, I think you'll be in the place that you want to be where you can use one cabinet for horizontal games and one cabinet for vertical. Tim, anything else for Eric before we move on? No, I don't think so. Sounds good. And Tim, we actually have some uh, little comments here from, uh, from the live chat as well that I'm going to say. Um, let's see... Hey guys, would you? Okay, I'm, I'm trying to skip past some of the questions. Uh, let's see. Uh, Louis actually posted Golden Age Arcade parts in the live chat too, so if you want to go there, you can. But um, that's probably going to be the best way to do it, Eric, is to convert to 1942 to horizontal and then do all your vertical games in the Donkey Kong after you get it back to original Donkey Kong. So, Eric, hopefully, it answers your question, and good luck with both your 1942 and Donkey Kong Project games. Okay, Tim, before we move on to our last set of questions here, we've got some in the live chat. And Silly Sausage 72 says, Cheers from California. Thanks for joining us tonight, Silly Sausage 72. He says, Would you happen to have a very detailed schematic of the pedal assembly for a cruising world? Tim, I would think that this would be in the manual for it, um, but do you know if it is or not? I know you had, you've, you've worked on Cruising USAs and Worlds before. Is it in there? I'm pretty sure it is. In fact, uh, the cruise in USA, it was a pretty sick uh, manual. Um, yeah, you should be able to get that online, and uh, maybe somebody can find it and uh, put it in the chat room. But, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a very – but it's not rocket science either. If you take one apart, all there is is some gears and a potentiometer, um, some – some have a switch, but most, but in the cruising and stuff, it's just a potentiometer that controls. So a lot of times you just replace the pot or the gears are stripped. Um, but it's, it's, if once you take one apart, you'll understand it. Or just take a few pictures. I don't really think you need a schematic necessarily. Uh, just take some pictures as you take it apart, and you'll you it'll make a lot of sense when you get in there how it works. Now, Tim, you mentioned something. If it's not in the Cruising World Manual, he may want to go back to the Cruising USA Manual because it may be in there, correct? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, because sometimes they don't include stuff, especially if it's a conversion game manual, Tim. The conversion game manuals don't always have all of the details in it like the original game. And a lot of Cruising Worlds, Tim, were converted from Cruising USAs, correct? Correct. It works the same. Right. So, same pedal. Exactly. So you may need to look in the Cruising USA manual to see the pedal assembly uh, if it's not in the Cruising World manual. But like Tim mentioned, it really is just like a set of gears and a potentiometer. And when you press down the pedal, it all it does is change the value on that potentiometer. It's pretty simple, not too difficult. If you are having problems with it, you probably need to replace the potentiometer. But you, like Tim mentioned, you may have a stripped gear as well. Yeah. In the, what you can do... Uh, is too is you can bypass the potentiometer just tie it the wires together and it will make it go full speed which until you can get a potentiometer or something i mean most of the time when do you actually go half speed you you just put the pedal to the floor all the time anyway right exactly and you can um, hit the brake right right so or 
it is the or you can disconnect the brake i have seen the brakes go bad and that caused a lot of issues with the gas because the game thinks you're trying to brake at the same time i, I love i love the operator fix of just wiring around the gas pedal i love, <laughs> should i mention that i just love like that is that is the ultimate tim Chuck E. cheese fix right there is it not Every kid slammed on the pedal anyway. Nobody ever goes uh, uses the pedal like you're probably supposed to. I, I bet you, you did know, that. I bet you did that one time, and not one person complained. Yeah, not not one. <laughs> exactly, because I mean, I'm the same way. I slam on that pedal pretty much the entire time. I may let off the pedal a bit from time to time, but you know, if I know that the pedal's wired to go, I'd probably just hit the brake instead. So, yeah, take the brake uh, potentiometer and switch it. No, that's not a bad idea other- either. Yeah. That way, if you have a bad potentiometer, do you get it fixed? At least it's the brake, and you know, never use the brake on the game. Exactly, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, and Louis also went ahead and li- linked to the Crimson World Manual forum too. So thank you, Louis, for doing that. Uh, Michael Bloom, the 19 and one is a horizontal board, right? Yes, it is. So I have a 19 and one. It is a horizontal board, Tim. It is not my favorite board, though. Um, you know, it it doesn't. Pl- it plays Super Mario Brothers, which is pretty cool. But the Game Elf boards, in my opinion, are better um, if you're going for horizontal. Or you know, the Pandora's box boards are so popular and so cheap now. Um, it really just depends on what you want to play. The nice thing about the 19 and one, though, is that it does play a lot of Williams games, which you don't get so much with the newer Pandora style boards. But the Game Elf boards should play a lot of those games as well and game and when i mean williams games him obviously defender uh bubble stuff like that that had the horizontal orientation in those williams cabinets so okay let's see what else we have here um regzer shows has just bought the whole set of dk harnesses from mike's arcade yeah mike's arcade guys they have all the nintendo things that you're looking for so if you if you need nintendo harnesses nintendo parts can't recommend mike's arcade enough great stuff from them uh, let's see. Michael Bloom says, so the 16 one, the 19 one would be the easiest way to get you pretty much the best of the classic games. Yes. So between the 19 and one and the 16 one, you pretty much get all of the games you want to play. Right, Tim? Yes. So I think so. Yeah. I mean, the night now, like I said, I'd probably go game elf instead of the 19 and one in most cases. Now, Tim, uh, what's the multi Williams board, the J rock multi Williams board. Is that what it is? Yes. I have that one. Uh, but I actually, in fact, that's my next project is to get my 19 and one going. And, um, but I can't remember. I just remember a lot of people like it better because the sounds are more close, but I do, I want to think it doesn't have super Mario. on it. I don't think it does. I think it's strictly Williams stuff. So that may be part of it too. Uh, speaking of Super Mario Brothers, Tim, uh, this is the 35th anniversary, and I don't know if you saw the Nintendo Direct today, but they released a whole bunch of news, but pretty much the biggest one was what we posted on our Facebook page about the Game & Watch Super Mario Brothers Edition, which is going to be a little handheld about this big, that's going to play Super Mario Brothers and the Japanese version of Super Mario Brothers 2. And it's going to be $50 released in November. So um, for those people who want to play Super Mario Brothers and stuff playing on the 19 and one you can play it on a little Game & Watch that's about this size, so... Uh, let's see what else we have here. I think we're caught up. Sorry. Oh, Silly Sausage 72 says, um, apparently his potentiometer wiring is exactly the way he wired um, full throttle, uh, exactly how he wired it for now. He, so he did the exact workaround that you said to do, so. Okay. Oh, Louis says you can't buy the J-Rock board anymore. Now, I, you've had one for a long time, but I think they are no longer making them, correct? Okay. Yeah, I've probably had mine, goodness, 10 years or almost eight years. I don't know. I'm just now 
that's one of those projects I'm just now fixing to get out of storage and work on. Yeah, so I mean, cool stuff. But anyway, uh, Delusional's here too as well, Tim, tonight. And he, he says his son would love the Super Mario Brothers. Guys, I've got to get one of these Game & Watch Super Mario Brothers things when they release in November. And I bet they're going to go as fast as the NES Classics and the SNES Classics. But check our Twitter feed. Check our uh, Facebook page for more information on the Game & Watch Super Mario Brothers uh, handheld. It's going to be really cool, so... Oh, and Delusional says J-Rock just built him two of the multi-Williams boards. So apparently you still can't get them as long as you go directly to J-Rock, right? Okay. So there you go. Okay, Tim, I think we're caught up right now. So, oh, Delusional says he's working on a new batch. So there you go. Good news there. Because that's a fantastic board, Tim. Like you said, it plays the Williams games probably the most accurate of any other multi-board that you're going to find. So... Okay, let us continue on here, Tim, with our last little bit of questions from YouTube. And so we always do this kind of in a um, in a rapid-fire fashion here. And so, Tim, what we have is we have three here, one from Chaos7 uh, there, uh, one from Ollie Ollie, and one from Steve. So let's start with the first one from Chaos7. He says, why don't monitors have a horizontal size adjustment? And then Ali Ali says, hello, is it possible to install a corn acceptor in an arcade one up? Can we install a coin mechanism on the one player selection button without programming, without installing a RetroPie or another device? And then Steve says, I have an old stand-up Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. When I turn it on, all I get is a flashing Ram ROM check screen that shows a K-17 bat on it. Could anyone help me how to fix, please? Thanks. Steve. So, Tim, here are the three that we have. We have Chaos 7, we have Ali Ali, and Steve. Chaos 7, let's start with his, Tim. Why don't monitors have a horizontal size adjustment? Well, most do, and we call that the horizontal width coil. Uh, newer monitors, like we said, sometimes it's an on-screen programming that you have to go into a menu, uh, or they have a satellite board that you go into and do it. But most uh, monitors do have one. Yeah. I mean, the horizontal width coil on a lot of older monitors, Tim, and on newer monitors that don't have the coil, usually there's an on-screen display that you can adjust. And, Tim, I mean, some of them just don't have that adjustment. They use the polypropylene caps as kind of like a setting for that. And so, you know, um, if those polypropylene caps, if they bust like what we saw earlier in the in the show where um, we had one that was kind of popped, then that can affect your horizontal width as well. And so, you know, in most cases, there is horizontal width adjustments. It's just not a traditional adjustment like what you would find in the adjustment section of your chassis, correct? Right. And then Ali Ali, Tim, he had the question about an arcade one up. So he wants to put a coin door in, but he wants to wire it up to maybe the player one start. Now, Tim, I think this would work in theory, but the problem is that you don't you have a game selection screen kind of as your first menu. So the very first thing you'd have to do is get into one of the games, then at that point, if you wired up the coin to to uh, start the game, I think it would work. What do you think? I think so. Like you could wire jumper the switch to how it normally starts. And when the switch is triggered by a coin, like a quarter, then it would do the same thing as hitting the button. Correct. Um, that would be one way that I would do it. Yeah, but the only way that that would work is if you got it into one of the games first. Because in order to get into a game on most arcade one-ups, you have to hit the player one button one first and then hit the start button. And so because you have to do that kind of double switch there, it wouldn't just work if you put the coin in. But once you were in a game, then when you put the coin in, it would hit the start button and it should work. So you'd actually, the very first thing you'd have to do is select a game. And Tim, this kind of came into play when we talked about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at Mr. Gat at the Gaddies in Kentucky, right? 
Right. So where he had, they had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the floor with the uh, coin, with the coins, uh, with the little, uh, what is it, the little slide card readers hooked up to it. But I'm sure what that operator was doing every morning was they were making sure it booted into either one of those games first before people start putting credits into it. So I think that's how it worked. But anyway, Tim. So hopefully, hopefully, um, you know that that could get around it. But again, you really have to get into a game mode before that would work. So you'd have to select a game. So Tim, the best way to do that would be to um, would be to set it up, kind of have some uh, buttons wired up in the back of the cabinet that you could select the game right up front, and then once you do that, your coin slots would work. So. Yeah, something like that. Right. And then, uh, Tim, we had Steve who was having problems with a K-17 uh, showing bad on his Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What's going on with Steve's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles board? Well, fortunately, it's telling him exactly what's wrong. It sounds like he's got a K-17 ROM chip on the board that's bad. Exactly. Uh, Need to replace it. You can uh, contact Hobby ROMs and get a replacement chip for it. You can actually tell him exactly which one or just get a set of chips either way there you go tim and so i think we pretty much covered it all so i'm going to go ahead and show the outline screen here and i'm also going to look at what's going on in the in the live chat while we're doing that chaos seven tim um the horizontal width coil is like a horizontal size adjustment like you mentioned tim and then some also have an on-screen display menu setting for horizontal width we also mentioned earlier in the in the show about polypropylene caps acting for horizontal width on a lot of chassis. But we're not sure why they don't put them on the main chassis, Tim. It seems like that would be something that would be done. But, you know, I think in most cases, Tim, the horizontal width, uh, once they kind of get it dialed in or once the, the chassis maker knows what it's going to be or the tube size, they want it locked in. So you do have some play in that. But, you know, the horizontal width coil and the on-screen display menu are only going to give you so much. So, um, you know, for the most part, it is kind of locked in there. But that's, in my opinion, that's a good thing because most times it works it works really well ollie ollie says yes you can't you know, like we told him yes you can but it may not accomplish what you want to accomplish because you do have to usually start a game by hitting the what we call the a button or the player one button one first and then hitting start so as long as you are in a game then it would work but you'd have to make sure you're in a game first to make that work and then, Steve, of course, like you mentioned, Tim, the K-17 ROM chip on the board is bad. Uh, you know, replace it. You can contact Hobby ROMs if you have, if you need a replacement chip for it, HobbyROMs.com. Uh, just tell them you need a K-17 for Team Ninja, Ninja Turtles, and hopefully they can get you that ROM chip that you need. So, Tim, anything else on these questions before we move on? Uh, no, those were some pretty easy ones. I guess the only thing I would add to Steve it's maybe he doesn't understand what we say when we're saying replace a chip. And we do have videos that show, uh, inspecting an arcade board, I think is one of them, John, that would show him actually how to pull a chip off a board and do that, right? Correct. And I'm not sure if that K-17 is soldered on. I believe it may be, Tim. So it may be a little bit trickier to get off there. So um, just depending on if it's soldered or if it's socketed. So, But I'm not sure on that particular board what it is. But if it's soldered, you may need, you may need like a, um, a desolder heat gun to um to get that chip off there or what's you you had a little chip uh desolder tool thing that you guys used correct yes i forget what it's called you tell me what it's called yeah it's like the i mean a lot of people use the the bulb one you know where you but i like the solder wick yeah um uh, no you guys you and uh, michael had a tool or a thing that would do chips specifically i can't think of the name of it yeah, he's got like that heat gun looking thing. Well, I know the really heat gun. Cool. There's something else. I'll, if I think of it, I'll let you know. But there's something else that will um, that that's specifically made for doing chips. 
that will um, desolder all the solder points off, and I can't remember the name of it at the moment. But yeah. anyway, I'll, if I think of it, we'll say it here. But you can do that if it's soldered on. If it's socketed, you can just pull it, and then you'll be good shape. thing on it. Oh, say it one more time, Tim. It, it looked like a heat gun, kind of, but it had a hot air thing on it, the Haiku brand that would just really get down to that one chip, and you go just do it would do like all eight of them at one time or whatever yeah i I can't i can't think of it but if i think of it i'll let you know um but anyway so that should yeah but for the most part it should be fine but hobbyroms.com tim if you need roms they're a really good uh source for that of course tim you could always get a rom burner to your own roms if if that's something you want to get into um you know uh we've had you know we have uh, a lot of a lot of friends that we know that do that part of it uh we're not as much in that part i think i bought a uh a programmer at one point but i just never got around to really learning how to use it and i think i still have it in a drawer somewhere we have to dig it out at some point when i have some time but um but uh, we use hobby roms just because it's easy and they they can get you pretty much anything you need and the price is relatively inexpensive so okay uh delusional says you can install a coin acceptor on an arcade one up but that would be illegal in a retail environment well that didn't stop that mr gaddies we had a couple of shows back did it tim <laughs> no that's right so um but there you go um and delusional also says most with coils are shot and need replacing that is true a lot of with coils uh, when you get your monitor are in pretty bad shape and sometimes finding with coils can be difficult though you have to be careful so now, Tim, I think we're done with all the questions, and this is usually where we would do Tim's tech tip. But this month, uh, you had a different idea, and it still starts with three T's, though. It's Tim's trivia time. So let's test our knowledge with Tim. Tim, I'm going to put the trivia questions that you put up here, and we're going to see, I guess, if the live chat can answer them. Is that the plan? It was for basically the live chat, but just anybody else listening later can just kind of test your own knowledge. These aren't too hard because it's the first one. But uh, maybe you'll learn a little something if you didn't know. Okay, so go ahead and go over, um, Tim. Or, or do you want to wait for the live chat? You want to give them some time? Do I need to play like the Jeopardy theme? I can't do that, of course, copyright. But we'll do them one at a time. Um, so we'll see who can answer first in the live chat. What was Pac-Man known as in Japan? So originally, it wasn't called Pac-Man. What was it called? Okay, so that's the first one. What was Pac-Man known as in Japan? Okay, second one? The second one was, same thing, was what was Mario's original name? Uh, and He wasn't called Mario at first. What was his original name? Most of you will probably know them too. Uh, the third one is definitely not the hardest, but you have to know a little bit of a history here. Uh, when uh, Nolan Bushnell put Pong out at a bar, uh, the first day on location, he got a call that the machine had broke down. And uh, do you guys know the reason why? What caused it to malfunction? Okay, Tim, we got some answers here. So uh, Regzer Show says Paku Man for the Pac-Man one. And we've got... Um, uh, the Real Hammer, Billy Lee says Puckman. Uh, let's see. Joe, Joe Rivera says Puckman. And so the answer is what? Is Puck Man. Yeah, and Paku Man, I'll accept as well because I think that's the Japanese like uh, spelling for it. But yeah, there's a reason why it was um, Puck Man, and there's a reason why they changed it, Tim. Why they changed it? Well, uh, it, it, a lot of people think he's like a pizza, but he actually was like a hockey puck if they put a, a piece out. So that's where they come up with. The problem was, as soon as they introduced it to arcades in the U.S., uh, teenagers and other um gnarly characters back in the day like to change the p to a different letter 
which made it uh, quite uh, not kid-friendly anymore. <laughs> and so uh, they changed it to Pac-Man because uh, Fac-Man does not sound if somebody changed the P to F as bad as it did when it was Puck-Man. You guys are correct there. Okay, and then we had um, Regzer Show, The Real Hammer, Billy Lee... Uh, let's see. And Delusional say Jumpman on what was a Mar- a Mario's original name. And that is correct. Uh, it's funny, we all know him today as Mario, but Jumpman was his, that was the actual name that it had. I didn't really even have quite a uh, original name until later uh, when the Nintendo came out. Correct, yeah. So if you look at a Donkey Kong and it has a little instruction card, Tim, I believe it does say Jumpman still on the instruction card. I think my Donkey Kong says Jumpman, in fact. So, And then uh, first day, Pong broke down on location. Why? Um, so let's see who we got here. Uh, Sean says too many quarters. Let's see. Michael says the coin acceptor was full. Uh, Delusional says too many quarters. What's the answer, Tim? Well, we, we, we definitely got the cream of the crop tonight. These guys know these simple questions pretty good. Yes, it was so full of quarters that it was jammed and couldn't take anymore. The whole bottom of the game was covered in quarters. Uh, that was a pretty good uh, indication of how well the machine would actually do. Um, so when they got there to find out what was wrong, that was actually pretty good news. Yeah, and uh, the Razor Show said no idea. He had no idea on the Pong. So, I, and you know, that's kind of an arcade repair question in a way, Tim. So, they came and there were so many quarters in the bottom of the game, it overflowed, I guess, the coin bucket and was pressed up against the coin mech so that it couldn't take any more. So, definitely uh, one of the best problems as an operator you can have. Yeah, I wish I had that problem a lot more. You know, Tim, we had some, I don't know if I've ever seen a completely full coin bucket. I know that you have, though. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese spring break every year, we would pull a certain two or three games, maybe five games. We would have to pull two or three times because they would be so full of coins, they would jam up like that. That's crazy. You know, I mean, I, and, you know, we had a route for a while, Tim. I don't think we ever had a game that full. We got some that were about three quarters full, which is pretty full, but I don't think I've ever seen a completely full coin bucket. Yeah, we were pretty happy to, uh, you know, it takes probably over a thousand coins or more to fill up a coin bucket. Oh, yeah. Way more. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but uh, it's a, it's just amazing to me that you put a game out on location one day and then you have to go up there and all of a sudden it's jammed. So, I mean, like you said, it, it was it was uh, the beginning of the arcade era, I guess, at that point. So, yeah. well, Tim, that's enough for your trivia time. I guess, are you going to come back next month with trivia or tech tip or what's it going to be? I don't know. I was just kind of, see what the live chat thought we could always the questions would probably have to be harder for this group since uh they're pretty knowledgeable but um maybe we'll mix it up every once in a while just thought we'd try something different yeah that sounds good now michael says wasn't defender the most successful game of all time over a billion games played i think that's miss pac-man i'm not for sure though i think miss pac-man probably had more games played i could be wrong though yeah Maybe if y'all have a, uh, maybe you know some trivia, you could send it in um, and we could use your question or you could help me with that trivia question. 
if you know something that maybe everybody doesn't know. There you go. Sounds good. So if, if the live chat, if you guys are watching or if you're watching this, uh, feel free to leave some trivia questions down in the comments section or email them to us at questions at arcaderepairtips.com. And maybe Tim will use your question on the next Tim's Trivia Time segment. So, Tim, thanks for doing that. I think it's a little bit different and it's nice to uh, change it up every so often, right? Yeah. So there we go. Now, uh, Tim, before we get into our discussion portion of the show, uh, Rexer's show says, guys, any suggestions on the type of paint for painting the inside of my Donkey Kong black? Three-quarter MDF. Do I seal or use any other kind of paint or sealer? Uh, so, Tim, is there anything you would suggest for painting the inside of a Donkey Kong? Uh, what kind of paint would you suggest? Does he need to use a primer or sealer? Well, you know, you can get a primer and sealer paint. Um, that's what I would probably recommend inside the game. I would probably go just because of, it's a little difficult to get up in there. If everything is gutted or if you don't want to gut everything, um, I would probably just use a high quality, like a Krylon spray paint. And, uh, but you can get uh, paint that already has sand and sealer in it, uh, and kind of a primer, but you know, it's the inside of the game. Uh, that's kind of up to you how how picky do you want to be with it you know and it definitely will help your game smell better i've painted some insides of games just to help with the smell absolutely um I, it paints just like everything else uh, a great oil-based paint is better paint but it's a lot harder to clean up um a latex or water-based paint is not quite as good, but should do for that, and you wouldn't have to just clean up with soap and water. No, he does. Which he would, does ask gloss or flat or semi-gloss. Yeah. Well, you're not. I, I'm a. I, I like gloss paint, and I think Jonathan, you probably like flat a little. Well, bit. I think for the inside of the cabinet, I would say flat. If I was going for the outside of the cabinet, I would probably go semi-gloss or gloss. But for the inside of a cabinet probably flat for me what about you yeah well you have one of my games that i previously owned i painted the outside you could probably comb your hair in the mirror <laughs> of it. Tiny. but inside the game maybe a flat or black would be more appropriate yeah and i think um and you're talking about the mortal Kombat, right yeah. so we did a high gloss on the outside and i think we did a semi on the inside yeah. So, because it's still pretty shiny on the inside too. It's not as shiny as the outside, but it's still pretty shiny on the inside as well. So yeah, I think it, I'm pretty sure it's full gloss on the side and like a semi on the inside. So, but like I said, I tend to go like if you look at arcade cabinets though, and and Tim obviously I have um, you know several like Dynamo cabinets and such. They pretty much all look like they're flat on the inside. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I mean the vast majority of them. Uh, we. You know, like you mentioned, we probably like a you like a semi gloss probably a little bit more just because it gives it kind of a shine to it. it. Looks really nice, but I mean if you're just painting the inside of the cabinet, probably just going to go with a flat in most cases. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think this one has a flat in it, pretty sure. So, but there we go. So Razor Show hopefully answers your question and uh, let us know if uh, if you want some more details other than the ones you asked for, and we'll we'll give you those as well. But yeah, I'm thinking just a flat black. I mean, but like I said, you may do semi-gloss, Tim. Yeah. So there we go. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and get into the discussion portion of this show. And Tim, um, th I had this uh, article come across and we reposted it, but I noticed after after we posted this that this is this list was almost uh, taken word for word from our friend Jeff Rothy's, um blog. 
who did a post on rare and expensive games back in 2008. So it's almost the exact same list with some minor tweaks. But uh, I do want to give a shout out to Jeff Brothy because his uh, rare and expensive post from his site back in 2008 is pretty much the same list. And so it looks like this guy may have just cribbed a lot of that from it. It's a little different, but they're very similar. But anyway, this was a list of the 10 rarest and most expensive arcade cabinets ranked. And so Game Rant recently ranked the 10 rarest and most expensive arcade cabinets. It seems like the list is limited to the classic period of arcade games, 1970 to 1985, even though the creator of the list does not mention it. The list includes Major Havoc, War of the Worlds, Inferno, Computer Space, Pla- Blaster Upright, Splat, Azterac, uh, Cosmic Chasm, Blaster Cockpit, and then the Sinistar Duramol, Tim, was the number one on that list. Now, Tim, a lot of color vector in there, and I think that's to be expected, correct? I think so. Yeah, because... I was just how many of these have we actually played? I think we played just about every one of those. You know, War of the Worlds, I don't know <laughs> if I've played... Have you played it? I, that's the one game on that list I was going, I don't think I've ever seen that. And may, Inferno, I'm trying to remember if I've seen an Inferno. It seems like we may have seen one before. We played that okay, one. You, we play, okay, I was about to say, I think like it, it's, that seems like something we would have played in Houston at one point. Uh-huh. So, um, but yeah, so we've actually played most of these. Asterisk for sure, Cosmic Chasm for sure, Blaster for sure, uh, Splat for sure, um, Major Havoc for sure, which is, uh, you know, and Asterisk is very rare, Tim. I, I don't think you, I've seen too many of those. But, um, you know, those are very interesting games. But, Tim, to me, they're interesting, but I wouldn't necessarily keep them for my collection, would you? No, probably not. Maybe a couple of those games. I would definitely love to have a computer space and a major habit. Yeah. Now, Michael says, Sinistar was rare. I saw them everywhere back in the day. Not Sinistar. And Tim, somebody mentioned this in the Facebook post on this as well. Not Sinistar Standard Edition. Sinistar Duramold. And there's a difference, right, Tim? Yes. So enlighten us on what the difference is. Well, all the Duramo games are pretty rare um, and fun to collect. If you ever run across one, I would definitely pick it up. Uh, Williams had an idea. Um, I guess it's kind of like um, like a plastic. Um, was that the best way to say it? So. Or kind of like a bedliner? Kind of like the plastic bedliners you see in pickup trucks. They made games out of this. Um, the Duramold is what it was called. Um, and... They kind of had a little different shape and things like that, but um, that's what they were. And we talked to, right? we talked about them a little bit on the last live show. I think it kind of came up, but uh, there were three cabinets produced in Duramold, and I, was it was it Blaster, Bubbles, and and Sinistar, I believe, Tim. And we've seen them because um, uh, Callan used to have them, right? Correct. He used to have like a set of all of them. And um, it really good stuff, Tim. Um, yeah, they're kind of rounded plastic cabinets. And they're very rare. Um, you don't see them very often, but there are some out in the collector community. People have them, but they they are definitely hard to come by, correct? Yes. Uh, do you ever get a chance to get one, you should pick it up. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Tim, this uh, post got me thinking. I was like, well, this is obviously a classic you know, more of a classic, um, you know, game thing with the rare and expensive, you know, stuff that's pre-1985 or 1985. And so just in general, though, I thought we'd throw the question to you and to the rest of our audience as a discussion question. Are there any rare and expensive arcade cabinets in general that you would like to own? 
So, or it, maybe I should have put rare and or expensive, Tim. Because here's the deal. Like, the prices of those games, yes, they are expensive. But have you seen the price of a new arcade game recently is what I would tell you. Because uh, if you wanted, like, a Star Wars Battle Pod for your house, Tim, it is not cheap, correct? No, that is correct. So, obviously, even new games are very expensive and hard to come by. Tim, are there just any rare and or expensive games that you'd really like to have in your collection? Um, probably, I mean, it seems like all the really deep classics, you know, we talked about like Omega Race and stuff, Star Castle, I would really like to have in my collection. And people say, well, they're not that rare, but yet you don't see them for sale anymore. So that would probably, the Star Castle would be one that I would want to, um, own again. Um, some have come around and kind of miss um that's the one that i'm thinking of a lot of games are overhyped of course i would love to have a computer space just for the nostalgia of it i guess um you know one of those early early type games like that but but then again if i ran across a garage sale and there was a death race or something there i would love to find something like that but no way am i going to pay some of the crazy prices that some of these games bring it would be more like a treasure find for me something that found in a barn or something absolutely tim yeah uh computer space i think is 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 uh is a favorite among collectors just because of the way the cabinet looks i think it just looks so cool yeah. it has that space age look to it it's very uh neat um louis also says computer space would be cool um <clears throat> danny says i have an all original mousetrap fully working so there okay. you go mousetrap's a good one so, um, uh, Tim, I actually put uh, some that I was thinking of kind of on the list after this. And uh, I put Panic Park. And Panic Park has yeah. become rare, Tim. You really, I, I have not seen one other than the one we played, um, which used to be at an arcade in a city that's about 45 miles away from here. But Panic Park is a kind of paddle game, Tim, that you and me have played before, made by Namco in 1997. And it is so much fun. I would love to find a Panic Park, but they are very hard to come by now, for sure. You know, we had a game like that at Chuck E. Cheese. You remember it was called, like, the Ultimate Yes, or I something. remember the Ultimate. It was set the exact same way. You're right. It was very similar, and that was the only one in the company, and I've never seen that game since. I had a tr terrible time getting parts for it. But it was actually quite fun to play. Not as much fun as Panic Park, though. And the Ultimate only had one slide uh, one slide joystick, right? Panic Park had two, and the whole idea behind Panic Park is to play against someone else. And the cool thing is that you're physically jockeying for position in this arcade cabinet. It's very fun. And it's a collection of minigames, kind of like a Wii-style collection of minigames that you play, but it's... Both of you guys fighting against each other with these slide paddles. And Tim, I mean, just... You could have so much fun if you had a party and just had a tournament with that thing because everybody would be just pushing and nudging and trying to get uh themselves uh you know to into certain positions to try to get their character on the screen to react and so panic park is great guys so uh, let's see yeah go ahead enjoyed playing it we really thought it was a underrated game oh big time yeah and it, it's way and and like i said if you can find one now you need to play it because um it is so much fun but here's the thing tim it, like a lot of games it's way more fun with somebody else you can play the computer and it's fine like that but when you're playing against somebody is where it really shines and so panic park guys namco 1997 look it up michael says my grail is an afterburner deluxe unfortunately it won't fit in my house yeah that's a big one right tim 
Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Um, YouTube Punk says an R360, uh, a Sega Airline, the three-monitor realistic co- cockpit one. So there you go. Oh, and YouTube Punk, thank you for your donation, by the way. Um, awesome. And remember, guys, you can donate throughout the show by hitting the little dollar sign down below on the on the live chat. That's the super chat uh, donation icon. Thank you guys for doing that. Or you can go to arcaderepairtips.com slash donate to donate to the show. We we greatly appreciate the support of YouTube Punk and everybody who gives us donations. So thank you so much for that. Uh, uh, oh, uh, YouTube Punk says, what's Tim's address? I'll send him a tripod, Tim. I think they, they're saying they're getting a little shaky cam on us. Okay, sorry about that. I'll get you one for the next show. I literally have one sitting like, you know, in a bag somewhere I can send you. So that... Internet up and going. Yeah, I was about to say this is a temporary thing. Um, YouTube Punk, I don't think you were here at the beginning, but we had some technical difficulties. Tim is using his cell phone because his um, traditional home internet is down, so he's actually having to move the phone around. Normally, he would just have his laptop open and be talking with us, but he's having to hold his phone, unfortunately. So uh, that's part of the problem there. Um, Tim, I got some other prototype games on here that some uh, some people may be interested in. Beavis and Butthead, which they have at um, Galloping Ghost Arcade. That was a prototype, Tim, that very few were ever released of. And so some people may be interested in that. Magic the Gathering Armageddon back in 1997, another prototype game. Many didn't see the light of day, so um, another rare one for sure. Primal Rage 2, another Galloping Ghost game, Tim, that they have at that arcade. Um, but that is very rare. Can't find many Primal Rage 2s around anymore. Tattoo Assassins is the same way. A very rare game that didn't get a full release. And then Tim, Power Up Baseball, which I don't think we've actually found in a complete board for yet. But somebody got their hands, I think, on the ROMs and is trying to recreate that game. But um, I'd be very interested in playing Power Up Baseball. Our friend Scott, Tim, has the marquee for Power Up Baseball. And then the cabinet has been seen. And it was a traditional Midway cabinet. Um, but I would really, I love baseball as a whole, Tim. So I'd love to see Power Up Baseball. Hopefully at some point it'll be playable in MAME or some other form because it never got a full release. Um, But like I said, there is an effort to dump the ROMs on the board and get it working. So uh, let's see. Uh, Tim's sound and video is good considering no internet. Everybody says you're you're looking good over there, Tim, considering you have no internet using your cell phone. Yeah, I'm not even on 5G. I'm just on 4G. There you go. You only got 4Gs instead of 5Gs. Got to get all those Gs, you know. But anyway... Uh, let's, <laughs> YouTube Punk says, Tim Ford, just giving Tim a hard time. There you go. So, well, are, uh, are there any other games, Tim? Any other rare, expensive games? You mentioned Death Race, and that's when we got to play it at an auction one time. I do remember that, Death Race. I think that's the only one I've ever seen. I don't even think I've seen one at a show before. Yeah, we, uh, we've never seen Chiller, but I think that would be fun. No, we saw it, Chiller. We saw it at, uh, Joysticks in Houston. Oh, yes, we did. So, what was that other joysticks? It's kind of like a, the whole game is tilted wacko. as Wacko or something. Yeah, Wacko. Yeah. Um, I've seen Wacko before. I think we saw Wacko at a couple of auctions, too. And I see that cabinet every so often. I saw the most horrible conversion of that cabinet, Tim, which was really funny. Somebody had converted to like a generic JAMA game. Well, with a slant control panel like that, there's only one game it could be, right? Right. Um, the other thing I would say is Laserdisc games, Tim. It seems like Laserdisc games are, are pretty rare. Um, not so much Dragon's Lair. It's probably the most common of the Laserdisc games. But if you look at things like Thayer's Quest, Mach 3, Tim. I mean, how many Mach 3s have you seen? Right. Not not many lately. And every time we see a Mach 3, it's running MAME. I've right. never seen <laughs> one running the original hardware. We always ask. Every time I see one, I ask the person, is it running the original hardware? And they're always like, no, it's running MAME. 
or it'll be running the laser active board, or, or it'll be running the little um, laser board thing that they have, the conversion board. So, I mean, it very rarely is Mach 3 ever running in its original form, kind of like Journey, too. Um, Journey's quite rare. Don't see many of them, Tim. And it, but every time I see a Journey, it's never running the original hardware, not the original tape deck, remember? So, I mean, that, that's I think that's hard to keep running nowadays for sure. So, oh, Michael says uh, Polybus is rare. The CIA recalled them and stuck them in a basement of Area 51. There you go. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of cool rare and expensive games out there. Tim, I'm not one, though, that collects rare games to collect rare games. I'm more of the person that collects games because I like to play them. And so, for me, like, I'm never just going to have a rare game to have it. I know I, I, I appreciate people who are historians like that, who want to keep rare games because, you know, they're rare and they want to preserve that history. But for me personally, if I didn't like playing it, I'm not going to probably have it, so. Right. I'm more about collecting games that I used to play. Right, exactly. Now, um, Danny says, I think Smash TV is hard to find. We've seen several Smash TVs, Tim, but over the years, it seems like the Smash TV cabinets got converted to other things. And I actually have... Um, a cabinet that's either a Smash TV cabinet or um, whatever the other game is that had that same cabinet, uh, both Williams games. But um, it seems like those cabinets got converted because they made really good generic JAMA cabinets. Correct. So that's why you don't see many like dedicated Smash TVs anymore because most operators, like once that game stopped making money, they converted it because the cabinet was good for a conversion. So. Okay, is that it? I think that's it. Now, Tim, before we get into... Um, before we get into... Uh, uh, Moving on to another topic, uh, YouTube Punk mentioned the Sega R360. Well, I don't know if you heard, Tim, but Galloping Ghost Arcade got one. Yeah. So um, so here's the deal. Uh, here's the article from Silicon Era you guys can read. Galloping Ghost Arcade, the largest arcade in the United States and one of the largest in the world, is celebrating its 10th anniversary. Uh, as part of it, owner Doc Mac revealed an extremely rare addition to the playable collection, a Sega R360 with G-Lock Air Battle. This is one of only 150 cabinets ever made. Various hur hurdles were mentioned for safe and proper usage, such as needing an attendant to help man it and having a generator on hand so it could be used. It also has a 250-pound weight limit for users due to this being a full-motion experience. So this is what YouTube Punk mentioned, Tim. Finding room in your house is hard enough, Tim, but you have to have a three-phase generator to run this thing, too. Wow. Yeah, and then you have a 250-pound weight limit. So, so I mean, there's a lot of hurdles to owning a Sega R360. Um, Tim, definitely don't have the room in my house for one of these, but it is pretty cool for sure. Yeah, I would love to have a game room with that. I'm mean, like a, uh, a uh, arcade. Well, when we make our trip up to Gallop Galloping Ghost, we got to get in this thing. So uh, it, even if we both have to slim down a little bit in order to get in it, so... <laughs> But anyway, it does look cool, and I'm I, I'm so glad that Galloping Ghost was able to get their hands on one because now it means that people may be able to um, to actually experience it. Now they mentioned uh, they mentioned what they're going to do is they're going to have certain days at the arcade, Tim, that are going to be R360 days. So when you go to the arcade, if you want to play the R360, you check the calendar, and they'll say, "Well, this day's an R360 day, so that means we're going to have an attendant on hand to play it." And so you you want to make sure you check that if you want to play it before you go. So. Nice. Yeah, uh, Andres uh, says Juno First is on his list of uh, rare and or expensive games. What do you think about Juno First, Tim? I've never never heard of it. Never, I've not played it. Um, I've played it before. Um, it's okay. I'm not like the biggest fan, but I can understand why people like it. I mean, it 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 
it is a fun game, but it's not one of my personal favorites. But it was it's featured on Starcade a lot, Tim. If you remember the old Starcade episodes for sure. So yeah, yeah, I'm remembering it some now. There you go. So, uh, but anyway, let us move on with some more news, guys, because there's so much news to talk about. And Tim, uh, I know that a lot of people may be down on this, thinking it may be an arcade one-up clone, but the Neo Geo MVSX is going to be coming out soon, and it has 50 SNK Classics on it. It's set for release in October, and it's going to be $400, or or you can get the optional extension base for $100, which brings the price to $500. So, Tim, it's going to be right around the same price as the arcade one-ups and it's going to bring the height of the game to about five feet so about the same height as an arcade one-up maybe a little bit taller um arcade heroes is reporting that some of the people behind this product have been involved either with snk or other aspects of the arcade business for many years Um, one of those is paul jacobs who was the head of snk usa back in the early 90s these units are also being built by fun company who has extensive experience in creating game cabinets for amusement and other related industries. So Tim, the Neo Geo MVSX sounds more like a home arcade built by arcade people than it does like a home arcade built by, you know, like home console people. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm hoping that's the case because Tim, it does look really nice. And I mean, it looks very similar to a standard Neo Geo cabinet uh, in its styling. It's even got a very similar control panel overlay, Tim, to like a classic like four slot Neo Geo. And so, I mean, and hopefully it'll have the same quality. Obviously, Tim, they're going to cut some corners for home production. But the fact that all of these SNK and RK people are involved with the building of this, I hope is a good sign that it will have, that it will be good quality. I think so. So, um, but I don't know if I'm going to get one necessarily. I think I'll, if the price comes down from that a little bit, I may think about it. $500 is still fairly steep for a home arcade unit, but considering you get 50 Neo Geo games and it stands five feet tall, which is slightly higher than what the, um, what the arcade one up stand. I think for people who are in the market for arcade one up, you should probably consider this as well in your purchases. You may actually like this better, more games, a little bit higher height. Um, it may actually fit your needs better. So it's something to consider, but to me, Tim, it still looks cool. The MVSX coming in October. Now, Tim, I wanted to mention this. This was an article we posted on Facebook as well about the um, ultra rare Quake arcade cabinet actually got emulated. And so now you can play it on your PC at home. So Quake Arcade Tournament Edition called Quake ATE Um, An officially licensed version of the game that ran on custom arcade cabinets can now be played on a standard computer thanks to the efforts of the emulation community. While cabinet maker Lasertron produced a limited run of these specifically designed cabinets for the game, Quake ATE was more often seen in a conversion kit, jammed inside with some much jankier looking setup. So Tim, most of the time when you saw this, it was in a Dynamo cabinet or some generic cabinet. It was GitHub user Mills5 who released this this decryption program that ensured this historical curiosity will be preserved for years to come. Now, Tim, I have a a picture of the Quake cabinet in a generic Dynamo cabinet. And this picture, Tim, was actually taken from uh, Joysticks in Houston because I recognize the background and everything like that. So um, Joysticks apparently had one. No, no, they still have one. But Charlie, Tim, is is, uh, the guy there. He's really nice if you've never met him. Uh, But Tim, he's got some of the coolest stuff at his place. But it didn't surprise me one bit to see that he had one of these Quake ATE edition cabinets at his place. Right. Because you should see his um, environmental missile command, right? Along with some other cool stuff that he has. 
It'd be worth flying to Houston just to spend a, a day in his arcade. That's right. Make sure you message him first, though. Let him know you're coming. <laughs> but um, he's a he's a great guy, and if you're looking for arcade cabinets, um, he's got competitive pricing, uh, and he can definitely hook you up. So, But um, it's great, Tim, that we get to play this thanks to the efforts of the emulation community. Obviously, this was a game that was not emulated that we couldn't play for the longest time, but now that it's been decrypted, people can play it at home. And uh, it's kind of uh, you know, a historical preservation like we always talk about, right, Tim? Yeah. So there you go. But I did want to mention that. So I don't know if any of you guys have tried that yet. But if you have, let us know what you thought of it. Um, it is available there for you to check out. And then, Tim, I have two more stories here. There was just so much news going on this month. I couldn't help it. I had to throw a couple more things on here. Um, the new Tron movie lands Lion Helmer Garth Davis as director. Tim, it looks like we're moving forward with the um, with the Tron movie. And a lot of people are saying it's going to be Tron Ares is going to be the subtitle of it. So um, Disney's plans for a third Tron movie just got a big software update. Garth Davis, who made his feature directing debut with 2016's biographical drama Lion, has signed on to direct a new Tron movie for the studio. The new film, however, will not be a direct sequel to 2010's Tron Legacy and 1982's Tron, but chart its own path as a new installment in the franchise. Jared Leto is attached to star, as well as produced with Justin Springer and Emma Ludbrook. Jesse Wigato... Uh, wrote the latest version of the script, which remains in development at Disney. Now, Tim, I am disappointed that this is not is not um, a direct sequel to the other films that we had, and so that is disappointing to me, but I am glad that at least that we are getting a third movie in the Tron franchise. I think that's the most important thing. And I think I may have just lost Tim, guys, so I can, I can hear his uh, audio going here. Let's see if he's going to call back in. Are you there? Reconnecting. Uh-oh, we're getting the poor network coverage, guys. So we'll see if he comes back here in a second. Um, while we're waiting on Tim, YouTube Punk says Environmental Missile Command is another grail. Man, it is cool looking if you have not seen it. Uh, again, Joysticks in Houston, they used to have one. Don't know if Charlie still has one there, but if they do, you should definitely check it out. Um, let's see what else we have here. Let me go ahead and read this last story here. And guys, this news just broke the other day. It's a big... It was big news. Um, actually, it may was it yesterday or, the, or today? I can't remember. I think it was yesterday. But the new Avengers Infinity Quest pinball machine was announced by Stern Pinball and Marvel. And uh, it feature, uh, the features for all the models include an interactive Doctor Strange spinning kinetic sling ring disc with dual direction velocity detection, a gravity-defying... Oh, hang on. Sounds like he's coming back, guys. Here we go. Have I got you back? Yeah, I think so. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Let me oh, see. Okay. Let me we got to get your video back. Hang on a sec. Back. Hang on a sec. We'll see if it comes over. It comes over. I hear an echo on my... I hear me echoing on your side. Oh, that's better now. Well, I can see you. Okay, well, I think I've just got you. I guess I've just got your audio now. So um, I don't have the video. You can see me. I don't see you. So we may have to, we may have to wait a second and see if it'll kick over. But uh, we're near the end of the show, Tim. So I guess we can, we can wrap it up here in a second. But... Um, let me go ahead and talk about the features for all the models of the Avengers Infinity Quest pinball machine that's that's out. And um, Tim, they're all going to have the Doctor Strange spinning kinetic sling ring disc with dual direction velocity detection, a gravity-defying Avengers Tower magnetic lock ramp with gravitational very target and magnetic magnet, magnet hold, an Avengers computer bingo grid three target drop bank, a Thor captive ball, a Hulk spinning target, custom intricate intricate 
wireform ramps, and three full-size flippers, Tim. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of different things on this pinball machine. It, and, Tim, I don't know if you've seen the pictures yet, but it does look very interesting, and I'm hoping that uh, at some point we'll get to play it. What do you think? Oh, yeah, it looks great. Yeah, it's very not. I mean, I tell you what, um, the artwork looks good. And Tim, we played the original uh, Avengers. I mean, it's been a while now. Uh, the one that they kind of rushed out the door. It was a George Gomez, and they even admitted that they had to get it ready for the holiday season that year. And there were a lot of issues with it up front. Now, though, if it's dialed in, it still plays pretty good. I actually like it. But um, this looks like a much improved version over that original one that they had. Correct? Yes. So there you go. So look forward to playing Avengers Infinity Quest sometime soon. And Tim, it's time I'm going to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm really excited about that. So once everything opens back up, we're going to have to go play some pinball. For sure. There you go. Now, Tim, before I move on here, um, Alan says, I own several Laserdisc games. Cliffhanger is very rare. Firefox with a working Philips Laserdisc player is very hard to find. Yeah, and Tim, we were talking about rare games earlier. Laserdisc games, like I said, not so much Dragon's Lair or Space Ace, but yeah, uh, Cliffhanger in particular, and Firefox. Tim, we play Cliffhanger in Houston, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so oh. now, Firefox we played in Houston. I played Cliffhanger at Charlie's at Joysticks in Houston, and I think we played Firefox at the Houston Arcade Expo one year, because I do remember that. I remember playing Maine, too. Yeah, so, but that, I, mean, I tell you what, you are correct. If you've got Laserdisc games out, that is really cool, because I, I tell you what, they are cool games, and very hard to come by nowadays, for sure. Well, Tim, I still don't have your video, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our um, to, to just wrapping up the show here. Um, but you can chime in if you need to, of course. We do want to remind everybody that we want your arcade-related videos. If you want some free advertising for your YouTube channel, we're looking for people to submit short videos, 10 minutes or less, about arcade-related topics. Send a link of your video to questions at arcaderepairtips.com, and our staff will review it. If we like it, we'll use it during one of our live show episodes. Make sure to put a plug-in for your channel so people will know where to find you. We look forward to seeing your submissions and tim we started doing this because we've um you know we really um wanted to support arcade channels that were having a hard time getting monetized on youtube uh, because you didn't have enough views or enough subscribers so this is a way of us for us to help you guys um to get more views and more su subscribers so uh, if you want to uh submit a video one of yours to us so we can play it here and give your channel promotion you can do that just send us an email questions at arcaderepairtips.com with a link to your video and if we like it, we'll use it during one of the live shows. And then, Tim, we have our email. We have questions at arcaderepairtips.com. If you guys want to contact us there, questions at arcaderepairtips.com. If you put live show in the subject, it will get it mentioned on the show. Or you can leave a comment here on this YouTube video, and we will also get to it uh, on the next live show. So, again, guys, questions at arcaderepairtips.com for email. Put live show in the subject if you want to mention it on the show. Or leave a comment here in this live show and we'll try to cover it on the next episode now for those of you guys who may be listening to this on a podcast you can go to youtube.arcaderepairtips.com to follow us on youtube and to view the video of this tim of course on the podcast feed we only put the main show so if you want to hear the after show here in a bit then you'll need to go to the youtube page at youtube.arcaderepairtips.com and Tim, we also have our podcast email that goes to our friends Eric and Rusty, who hosts the Question and Answer podcast. And you guys can email them at podcast.arcaderepairtips.com. Tim, I 
talked to Eric on his birthday, and he said he had a podcast episode ready, but he has not sent it to me yet. So I'm hoping very soon he's going to send it to me, and we will have a very new question answer podcast ready to go out on the feed. So um, hopefully that's going to happen. We'll just see. I know Eric and Rusty are both very busy, especially with the way things are with COVID and them running the Game Preserve down in Houston. So um, hopefully we'll get that at some point, but make sure you're subscribed to the podcast feed. And you can subscribe at iTunes.ArcadeRepairTips.com if, uh, if you're on iTunes or if you're on an Apple device. Or you can go to Stitcher.ArcadeRepairTips.com to subscribe there as well. Make sure you leave us a review if you like what you're hearing. Maybe you're listening to this on the podcast or you're listening to Eric and Rusty on the podcast. Make sure that you leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And Tim, you can also subscribe, we should say, on Spotify as well. We're also... We're on pretty much every kind of podcast platform that you can think of. Tim, I use Pocket Cast for Android. We're there as well. Just do a search for Arcade Repair Tips and more than likely we'll come up. So uh, make sure you do that. But if you want to leave reviews, iTunes.ArcadeRepairTips.com and Stitcher.ArcadeRepairTips.com for those. And then, of course, we have our social media pages, Tim. We want to thank Louie, who's moderating our live chat tonight and also posts on our Facebook page. And thank Mark, who posts on our Facebook page as well. Um, we just greatly appreciate all their efforts and all the work that they put into that. But if you guys want to follow us there, make sure you go to facebook.arcaderepairtips.com, facebook.arcaderepairtips.com. And Tim, most of the stuff on our Facebook page gets cross-posted to Twitter, and you can subscribe there at twitter.arcaderepairtips.com. And I say most of it because sometimes Twitter will cut off links and things that get posted from Facebook, and that's because they're too long for Twitter. So if you ever have a problem with that, if you send us a message on Twitter saying, hey, the link cut off or whatever, we will reply back. That happened on a couple of posts this month, Tim, and I just want to reiterate, if for some reason you don't see all the information on Twitter, make sure you uh, send us a message on Twitter and we'll get that to you. But you guys can subscribe to us again, facebook.arcaderepairtips.com there, or twitter.arcaderepairtips.com if you'd rather do Twitter. Now, Tim, a lot of uh, talk in the live chat here. Um, Michael says he's never seen a Mach 3 that actually worked. Um, Alan says he has a Mach 3 that still works. So we actually have confirmation of a working original Mach 3 somewhere. I'm pretty rare. Exactly. It doesn't happen very often. And then... um, uh, and Michael's like, what? That Dude, that's so cool. And I reiterate that, what? Dude, that's so cool. Because that is for sure. Um, it for sure is awesome. Uh, YouTube Punk says, uh, Mach 3 is like the soft serve machine at McDonald's. Uh, yeah, we're <laughs> always cleaning it, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, you don't have that problem at Dairy Queen with your soft serve machine, right, Tim? Nope. I didn't never. think so. I was about to say, every time I go to Dairy Queen, it's always working. Right. So you guys... Um, yeah, I was about to say you guys are like the what? What's the most reliable game we can think of? You're like the, um, you're like the, you're like the Pac-Man of, of ice cream machines over there, or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Alan says, yeah, has, "Oh, go ahead." That'd be a good question. What is the most reliable game? It's certainly not Pole Position or Mach Three. No, <laughs> definitely not. I, I mean, from from our experience, you know, like. Street Fighter twos were pretty were pretty darn reliable, especially considering the amount yeah. of play they got. Um, you know, newer game newer games that don't have like uh, that have single boards that don't have like hard drives or other things are pretty reliable as a whole. Um, the the most reliable classic game I think would be very interesting. I don't like pre like nineteen eighty five or before. Um, I don't know what the most reliable would be. Maybe we'll think about it. That's a great question though. Um, Alan says he owns a Dragon's Lair cliffhanger. Mach 3 and Firefox. Nice. And YouTube Punk says, uh, where's the party? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
But yeah, I mean, obviously, um, oh, um, YouTube Punk says Galaga. Is Galaga pretty, pretty, uh, Galaga boards, man. They, um, they have issues, right, Tim? Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's probably in the top 20 or so, but I don't know if it's that, if, there's got to be some more reliable games than that. Yeah. Galaxian is probably more reliable than Galaga. Yeah, you know, I actually agree with that. I think Galaxian may be more reliable than Galaga because it does seem like Galaga's Galaga boards are very finicky, man. They, you know, um, our friend Raymond sells that uh, little repair kit for Galaga boards, and it's just amazing. Like those sockets and stuff, how poorly they were soldered and stuff. It's just. Yeah, so I don't know if I'd say Galaga per se, but there probably is a game out there that um, that's pretty reliable that we're missing. Tim, we're gonna have to do some research. We'll come back next show for that. So, right. Okay. Um, well, Tim, I think that about does it. I, I mean, I could show. Let me see here. Okay. This is just the main camera with just me, but I don't think they can hear you if I do this. So I have to do this. Oh, there's your Skype logo, Tim. Hi, Skype oh. logo. So, there you go. But oh. uh, you're you're on the screen, but you're just a big Skype logo. Here, I'm going to get you out of there. So, um, obviously, Tim's not here. I'm going to fill... Uh, here, maybe I just do a talking hand. I'm going to do a talking hand in your place, Tim. You say, uh, I'll try to sync it up here. But I think we're ready to close it up, and I'm getting delirious over here. But we are going to have an after show. Maybe we can get your video working in the meantime between the after show and the live show. But, Tim, what are we going to talk about in the after show? Yeah, I think some sports, some investments. Uh, Tim, I told you I sold some stock this week. We can talk about that um, so you guys can find out what I sold. Uh, we'll talk about some winners and losers that we had. Um, Tim, I put politics and voting on here. Um, I don't know if we'll talk about that or not. We'll see. You'll have to stay tuned and see if we're brave enough. Um, we'll talk about some some TV shows, some sports talk, um, some different things, just the normal stuff that we normally cover in the after show. So we hope that you guys, if you're watching this on YouTube, that you stay tuned for that right after the live show. We'll take a little bathroom and uh, video rest restoration break there, and then hopefully we'll be able to uh, have a nice after show for you guys to enjoy. But Tim, do you have anything else here for the, um, for, the, uh, for the show before we continue on? Oh, they're saying I don't have your audio. Here, hang on. Okay, I have to put the Skype logo up there in order to get Tim's audio. Sorry, guys. Uh, Tim, anything else before we move on to uh, the after show to close out the regular show? No, we appreciate everybody listening and hope you get to stick around. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you guys all for being here this month. If you're taking off at this point in the show, we want to thank you for sticking around and watching the show with us and being a part of it. Tim, the live chat was great tonight. We had so much uh, so much uh, chatter and discussion and just always great when you guys are here to talk and, and throw some ideas at you like the expensive and rare games we talked about this month, Tim. Uh, just really fun stuff. So we're so hoping that you guys can join us next month, the first Thursday of the month at 5 30 hopefully for our next after show look at you hey i got you you got video you, you transformed into tim again from the skype logo <laughs> ah i found a button oh okay. <laughs> okay yeah actually found the button that you're supposed to hit great well i'm glad you're back yeah. and that means we're gonna have a great after show so make sure you guys stay tuned for that but again thanks everybody for watching this month thank you so much for um being here live chat for your input and everything tim is there anything else you want to say before we head out no, we'll see you guys here in a few minutes. Yeah, we'll either see you in the after show or we'll see you first Thursday of the month next month at 5.30 Central Time for the next live show. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And remember, here at Arcade Repair Tips, when we fix the game, we play the game. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you in the after show or we'll see you in uh, the October episode. Take care, everybody, and good night.
Thank you for watching this episode of the Arcade Repair Tips live show. All of our past episodes are available on our website at ArcadeRepairTips.com or on our YouTube page. This show is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.